Battle make off with your children. He'll come after them in the night. No! No one will be safe until his head is mounted on my wall. The solution to your problem is quite simple. The only way to get what you want is to become human yourself. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater, where you will see the finest motion pictures of all time, soon to be released. Hello, I am C-3PO, Human-Cyborg Relations. Welcome aboard the Star Speeder 3000. W Radio, your information station. Hello and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 401 for the week of April 5th, 2015. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, my trivia books, audio tours, and 102 ways to save money at Walt Disney World Book. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So this week, I invite you to please join me aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as we travel back in time more than 60 years to the real origins of Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. We'll look at how and why the attraction came to be and why it wasn't originally meant for Adventureland. We'll discuss the Disneyland original and then take a really close look at the tropical serenade at Walt Disney World, as well as its similarities and differences to the original unique features, its new management, and why it returned to its original splendor. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. And if you want to learn how you can get even more exclusive content, rewards, events, and products like custom Magic Band covers, monthly scavenger hunts, logo items, special call-in shows, and more, visit www.radio.com support and find out how you can be part of WW Radio Nation. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for more announcements, including upcoming meets of the month and more of your voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. What is this? What is this in caramba? Up here I am, up here in this here teepee canoe. I have a few thousand things in my feathered brain to tell you about Walt Disney's enchanted tiki room. If I ask you to think of a classic Walt Disney World attraction, what comes to mind? Is it an attraction that's classic to you and your personal memories? One that's been there since day one? Maybe one that had its origins in Disneyland? Or what about one that I think might fall into all of these categories that could be found in Adventureland, in Walt Disney World, and Disneyland, and it's appropriately called Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room? And this week, we're going to take a close look at the attraction as it stands today, as well as its origins, changes, inspirations, and much more. And joining me on this sort of combination DSI slash Wayback Machine is a man who loves adventure, romance, mystery, 
tropical rivers silently flowing into the unknown, the unbelievable splendor of exotic flowers, the eerie sound of the jungle with eyes that are always watching, and like Walt himself who said those words, Ryan Wilson from the Main Street Gazette loves his adventure land. Look at all the people. <laughs> I'm going to assume you were not trying to do an impression at that point. No, that, I thought about the impression. I was like, you know what? I don't have the, the, the talents for that I, kind of an accent. I'll just do the line. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny that we haven't touched on this before. We've talked, obviously, about adventure and, and our love for that land. And I think in terms of, of talking about this one that has such a, a rich and storied history... You know, obviously, in the way we normally do these things, we set the Wayback Machine way back when. And, you know, starting at the beginning here certainly doesn't mean we start at the beginning of Walt Disney World. It doesn't even start at Disneyland because with so many of the the great treasures that we still enjoy and appreciate in both parks, this one really does start with Walt Disney. And it starts with Walt pre-Disneyland, right? This is like before he even sort of, I think, had this concept of Disneyland, he always had this idea of sort of bringing his two-dimensional movies to life, right? I mean, even I think, you know, going back into the late 40s, early 50s, he had sort of uh, started talking to like patent attorneys about patenting this ideas of, of dimensional animations, this idea of bringing these things into the three-dimensional environment and when Disneyland opened in 55, you know, the thing about Walt that, that we always keep talking about, Ryan, is he was frustrated by the limits of technology. Like, he had these ideas, but the technology hadn't caught up. And maybe the closest that he was able to come with at the time were the, the very basic sort of uh, hydraulic and pneumatic systems that they saw on the Jungle Cruise. Definitely. And I, it, you look at Walt and you always wonder what was going on in his imagination because I can only imagine the things that he actually saw that we've, that we've even yet to see. Um, I almost liken it to that you know, scene in Iron Man where he's talking to, to Tony as a child and he's talking about you know, what the future holds and you'll be the one who be, who's able to fix this because I can't do it with my time and my limitations. Walt very much had those very similar problems in the fact of th- this is where mechanics and engineering and the imagination have taken us to this point. And this is what you can do with that. And, you know, and he always was pushing the boundaries of how to tell his story, where to tell his story, that everything could be his story. And, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, I, Lou, I know where you're going, right? You're going to talk about how the Tiki Room was meant to be a restaurant. But it really, there was sort of, there was a time that predated that where it actually didn't begin in Adventureland. But he had an idea for Main Street USA where he wanted to have a Chinese restaurant where, a Confucius character would sit and chat with guests. And he had Waythel Rogers, sort of the, the grandfather of audio animatronics, and Roger Brogy actually mock up this Confucius figure, um, which was going to be on this, this Liberty, Squeet, uh, sorry, Liberty Street in Edison Square section of Main Street that never came to be. But again, even at that point, they still quite couldn't get that Confucius character right. No, it, 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 again, it goes back to those limitations of his time and the things that he could and couldn't do. And you know, he he was always fascinated. You know, when it comes, to, especially with the tiki room, with with the, you know the little the little mechanical bird or these these figures and the dancing man and all these aspects. And he knew that 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 it was there and it was coming. 
but he just couldn't quite get it there for Main Street and for the, the Liberty Street that they had planned. Right, and, and so the I, as time progressed, the idea evolved. He says, all right, well, you know what? Scrap the Chinese restaurant. This is Liberty Street and Edison Square. We really need to have something that talks about freedom and liberty and America. We know about the patriot that Walt was. And so now they wanted to do something that would be more America. Oh, a salute to all nations, but mostly America. <laughs> and this is where, and I'm going to sort of tie you back into going to Disney's Hollywood slash whatever it's going to be called, Studios, and looking at the animatronic figure of little the, of the dancing man, Buddy Ebsen, right? That, who, that Walt himself directed because he knew that they were getting closer to this idea of building a full-scale model. Right? I think Ebsen is one-eighth the perfect size. They wanted to see if they could get that sort of dance routine perfected there, and then they would figure out how to do the full-scale animatronic for what would what he hoped was going to be uh, a show about the presidency, which would eventually evolve into Walt Disney World Hall of Presidents. Yeah, it's it's that whole thing that you, you always hear with Imagineering. A good idea never dies. It's always you know it's always going to be being worked on somewhere, some way. They're going to go back to it when they need something, and they were. They had this great figure, and the goal was to get to full size. And you know they always thought everything was models. I mean, you look back at pirates. You look back way back when, and everything was scale model, and that's how they mapped out their attractions. That's how they mapped out everything, and that was how the camera lenses they would use to to see how that would look for through the eye of the Yes, and so it was always that scale, 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 build, full size. And I love the story of really how this came to be because it almost sounds like it's made up, right? Walt loved yeah. to travel. Adventureland is really sort of – it really sort of reflects Walt's personal love of travel. And he's vacationing with his wife in New Orleans. And I've also heard the story told in Europe, but from what I understand, it actually is New Orleans. And he finds this little – mechanical bird that can sing and it's move it head move and the, the beak moves in in sort of in time with the songs and he's like look if they can do this in this little bird my imagineers are gonna be able to do it too. and he takes it back and he has his imagineers basically reverse engineer this toy bird a quick side story Years ago, I had the, the privilege of going to the Walt Disney Archives as part of a D23 event that they held. Coolest thing in the word in the world. Dave Smith is there and he brings out the bird. Like people are freaking out about the Oscars and the props. I'm like, cheese and crackers. Did you see man. the bird? It's the <laughs> bird. Like, and I remember Dave Smith is sitting and the bird still works and he's winding it up and I'm like, oh, for the love of all things, like put on some gloves, man. You got like Cheeto cheese on your hands and you're touching. But it is, it's, it's this tiny, I mean, maybe Ryan, it's, you know, eight to 10 inches tall, this tiny, tiny little thing and his Imagineers are able to reverse and that really, that bird really was the genesis of what we have today in audio animatronics. Absolutely, and you know this is going to be the first attraction with audio animatronics, and it was one. And you know, when you start looking at what happens with Disneyland, it's the first air conditioned you know, building they have in <laughs> Disneyland because they needed it to keep all the computers con- cool to keep all the birds you know under control. Uh, so you know the aviaries outside in the heat. I th- this aviary is much more my style, um, <laughs> but but it was it was this little bird, and he and and I, I think you're right with New Orleans. That's what I've typically always heard it as um he he did he had the, them take this bird and say we can do this you know 
bigger, better, stronger. And, you know, $6 million man later version, we have the Tiki room. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because he, he realizes, okay, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This bird is the key. But he says, you know what? Let's abandon this this Chinese restaurant idea, right? Like, he likes the idea of the restaurant with animatronic figures, but he says, let's... let's uh, Let's push aside the idea of Confucius, and I like this whole thing with the bird. Look, Walt loved tiki culture, right? It very much was sort of in vogue at the time. He loved Polynesian culture. Look, Disney's Disney World Polynesian Village Resort and Bungalows is very much inspired by Walt's idealized vision and version of what he thought Polynesian living and resort vacations would be like. So he said that let's make this in Adventureland, he was going to call it the Tiki Hut. It actually wasn't going to be called the Enchanted Tiki Room. It was going to be called the Tiki Hut, and it was going to have this very Polynesian theme. It was very close to the Tahitian Terrace and, Paul and Plaza Pavilion, so they could share the kitchen there. And there was actually a press release that the company issued that said, Walt Disney is creating a restaurant. And just as his full-length animated films, True Life Adventures, and Disneyland pioneered in their fields, Walt's creation might alter the course of many full-course meals. So it sounds like, pardon the pun, the, the bird is in flight. This this is definitely going to happen. And then I think what happens is, you know, you get excited about an idea, and then you have to pull back and say, well, time out a second. How long does the average meal take? All of a sudden, logistics, right, and timing right. start coming into play. If people are there, but, you know, an hour, how many guests are really going to be able to see what is a breakthrough in technology, so he said, you know what, the the, play, the space is small, the, the, the turnover is going to be very, very slow. Instead of the restaurant, let's do a show. Let's do a you know, 15, 20-minute show called Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, which opened in June of 1963. Yeah, and you did. You had this thing where you look at people aren't going to leave the restaurant because they're going to sit there. They're going to want to watch again and again. And as long as they're sipping on their coffee, which was coming out of the fountain stand in the middle of the room, nobody was going to go anywhere. And, <laughs> and, and Walt always wanted to, you know, he wanted to make everything available for the masses. He wanted everyone to be able to see, see these creations and, and see these stories. And so it was, it was like, let's turn this into something that, that is more functional for everyone. And then we get the, the first version of the Walt Disney Theater room in 1963. And you know, I think it would have suffered. I think they were they they were visionaries to realize that it actually would have suffered the same fate as Walt Disney World Adventurers Club, where people mm -hmm. go in and they stay for the show and they sit there with a soda or a coffee or a small meal and might stay there not for 45 minutes, not for 60 minutes, maybe for a couple of hours. Hey, it's look, like you said, it's the first air-conditioned room, it's a great show. And the, the the interesting thing was they went from zero to 225 instantaneously. It wasn't like yeah. you walked into the Tiki Room and there was one or two animatronics. There's 225, so there's a ton of things to see. And again, something so new and so unique to people. Who And look, one thing, people didn't even realize initially what was inside. That's why they created the Barker Bird, to call right. people over and say, hey, you guys have to come in and see because you don't know what you're missing inside. Right, and you even have this Barker Bird, you know, they're even breaking the fourth wall with this with this Barker Bird, who's talking about you know all the relations, talking about how his speech has been recorded. You know, this is this is the actual figure telling you how it works, so that you're gonna come inside to see how how if you take that one figure, that's the preview you get. How much grander is the entire you know vi you know visuals you're gonna have? And I think you hit on a really interesting point was that 
not just the Barker bird, but the hosts of the show inside broke the four walls, right? You weren't just sort of watching a show like you watch a movie. They were talking directly to you. Like they knew that you were there. It was almost, you know, interactive, like, oh, these birds are alive and they can see me and they're talking to me, the one guest that that I'm you know, that they're looking at inside the show. And I think that was really what was a lot of the appeal for the attraction back again, other than something that just people had not seen before. It definitely wasn't. And it was the way that you know the the perches would move, and it did look like they were talking to you. And there were you know quotes and lines that that are meant to engage those guests. You know, oh, you know, you're the you're you're the bald guest, or oh, you know, part on, madame. You know, they they were trying to get you to understand that you were part of the show and you were engaged. And you know, even up through the exit, you know, they're they're engaging you to get up and and interact with them. And you know, something else too. And again, think back to 1963. It's this new attraction, unlike anything guests have seen before. There was a few other things that made this attraction in Disneyland unique. One, it was owned by Wet Enterprises, right? Like, like, which obviously became, you know, Walt Disney Company became Walt Disney Productions, but Walt's private company, Wet Enterprises, and it's hard for us to grasp because we think it's all one big happy company, but because it was operated by Wed, guests actually had to pay a separate admission ticket just for the Tiki Room, and 75 cents today might not sound like a lot because that's not even like a mocha latte frappuccino, whatever. <laughs> but if you wanted to see the show that you didn't know what it was, you had to pay an additional 75 cents. Yeah, and and, and I think that's where this Barker bird comes in. You know, uh, Juan comes in and he's trying to get you motivated to come in to spend that extra money to come in and see and see everything that these birds had to offer, but. It was so unique. It was so groundbreaking. There were no pirates. There were no uh, no haunted mansion ghosts. That this was the first attraction that took this technology and brought it into the mainstream for attractions. And it, it, if you think back when it first opened, it was sponsored by United Airlines. And you might be saying, "Well, I don't get it. Like, what's the connection?" Well, obviously, United Airlines is trying to let people understand: Hey, we can take people. Not just to, you know, destinations. We can bring you to these Hawaiian islands. We can take you to Polynesia. So it makes perfect sense to have United Airlines, but a 1976 Dole Food Company replaces United Airlines, continues sponsorship to this day. Thankfully, all the stars aligned, and because of that, we have the infamous Dole Whip. Yes, the, the Dole Whip, yeah. <laughs> Sit out there in the little eye, you know, look at the tiki gods, have your, have your Dole Whip, take it into the room with you, why not? Because it's, it's all good. And so you mentioned the tiki gods, you know, that's something else that they, you know, the, the pre-show to the show, especially in Disneyland, was a show in and of itself, right? Because the show is 17 or, or so minutes, in order to keep guests occupied in the queue, you know, remember, there wasn't very much to do. You're standing outside. They put all these different gods around the, the perimeter of the area. And those two, they're, they're not they're not audio animatronic figures, but they they sort of move a little bit. They, they talk to guests. They keep people entertained and sort of forget that they are waiting in line. Right. It's that perfect, you know, perfect example of uh, the edutainment aspect. You're getting these, you know, very very tiki-esque looking gods who are going to talk to you. They're going to tell you who they are. They're going to have some visual or some element that shows what what they are the god of or goddess of and how they interact with the world around you. But at the same time, it's going to make you laugh. You know, you have the, the god on fire. You have the 
the little baby gods coming out of the tree. It's all there to keep you entertained, and you're not realizing how quickly your time is passing. And I think what made this attraction and continues to make the attraction very popular and, and a classic, uh, you can put it in air quotes or not, is like any good attraction, like any good Disney movie, I think, it's the soundtrack that makes it complete. And everybody on the planet knows the Tiki 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 Room because, once again, it is a you know virtual masterpiece by the Sherman Brothers. Right, even before you got to that, I was like, I was like, oh, we're going to the earworms, aren't we? We're going to the tiki room. Um, right, it, it, it's an amazing soundtrack. You know, you have the the opening song, which which sets the tone for the entire show. But they also were smart enough to use songs that people knew from other mediums. You know, whether it was let's all sing like the birdie sing or the war chant. You know, you had all these other pieces that people would know, and they brought them in, and so it, be- it becomes a, a whole show that people can interact with. Yeah, so you've got the tiki room. Let's all sing like the birdie sing. Um, the finale sort of performed by all the birds and the flowers and the tiki statues and then a little bit of hi-ho, hi-ho, just to, you know. <laughs> just to throw it out there. <laughs> and, and look, certainly, you know, Walt tapped into those people who were the best of the best um, in terms of the voice actors. So you have Thorough Ravenscroft as Fritz, comedian Wally Bogue as Jose, Fulton Burley as Michael, and Ernie Newton as Pierre and, you know, some of the other people doing some of the other background birds. But, you know, it's those four characters, those four hosts that I think people instantly, um, those are the ones that talk to us, right? They all represent different nationalities. There's there's uh, Jose, who is obviously Mexican. Uh, Michael has an Irish background. Pierre, obviously French. And Fritz is is German. And if you look very carefully, originally the, the colors of their feathers actually reflected their different heritages. Right, you would have Jose, who would have the the white, the green, and the red. You'd have the you know the green with a little bit of the orange for for uh, Michael. They all had their their right their feathers sorted so that you could tell very visually from where they were from. And but I do think it's those voices that bring those characters to life. And you know the, you have such an amazing set of actors here bringing those to life that no matter what, whether you recognize their their voice from other attractions or from films or their stage productions, they had such this quality of life to their voices that it doesn't matter what the decade is now, you're still recognizing that you still are sucked into that, that tale. And again, we, we, I, I prefaced by, by talking this about this as a classic attraction. And in 2004, the Disneyland version of the Enchanted Tiki Room closes for refurbishment and it reopens as pretty much the same exact show other than new audio animatronics, a digitally remastered score, a new sound system. So they're all sort of uh, effect-based things, but the show itself doesn't really change. You know, there there, there might be a few, uh, I think there was a couple of different shows, a couple of different songs that might have been taken out to shorten the show to sort of, again, increase the guest throughput. But other than that, the show that was updated in 2004 was really similar to the one that opened in the early 60s. Right. It's, it's kind of that thing. When you get it right, you, you keep it there and you don't mess with it. And they've had this right since day one, really. And it, it keeps drawing us back in, whether it's the actual characters, the effects of the windows and outside you know, on the, the lanai. It's just been done so well. It's done so right that it does keep us coming back time and time again even if just to have an air-conditioned place to eat our Dole Whips. 
Listen, quick aside, you talked about the windows, which is one of my favorite effects. Mm -hmm. I know you haven't been yet, but if you think the windows in the Enchanted Tiki Room are good, just (laughs) wait till you see Trader Sam's Grog Grotto at Disney's Polynesian Village. It, it's an attraction in and of itself. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about it because I had been to Trader Sands out, out in California. And I look at that window and go, yeah, I can't wait to see what they do with the new – like everything at the – everyone at the, new, at the new home down the road, as it were. <laughs> I can't I, – yeah, I, I can't wait. I've actually been playing with those ideas and thoughts in my mind for a while now. We, listen, buddy. You need a research trip, and, and I will be there to, to help you along. So Done. But – so look, obviously – the Disneyland version is so incredibly popular. I mean, guests are just are floored by what they see. Uh, there, there's a there's a high repeat factor, believe it or not, for the show. It clearly makes sense. You know, obviously, this was one that needs to be replicated in Walt Disney World, save for the fact that, like you know, Disney learned from Disneyland, wanted to make the the property and the space in Walt Disney World bigger. The, the theater here was larger, but the show was pretty much the same. Although it was not called the Enchanted Tiki Room, it was called the Tropical Serenade. It was uh, sponsored by the Florida Citrus Growers. And to, to, to Disney's point about realize it would be popular, it opened as a D-ticket attraction. Which, remember, if you remember the A3 ticket books, you're pretty close to being you know, one of the gatebuster attractions. Disney knew right off the bat that this would be incredibly popular. And if you think about it, just as you're walking through Adventureland, you know, not today, back in 1971, you're walking through Adventureland. There is this giant pagoda, for, you know, this Balinese pagoda off in the distance at the very end of the land because that was where Adventureland ended. This was the big thing that you were being drawn towards in Adventureland, and you and you didn't have the flying carpets. It was this great, you know, the Sunshine Tree Pavilion with this with this Balinese artwork and this Balinese uh, decor. And that's where you were going because you had heard about California. You had seen something, and the tropical tropical serenade was where you wanted to go. Whether or not the Barker Bird was going to get you in the door or not, you were headed that way. Yeah, and I'll actually reference you, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, I did a full show about the Orange Bird a few years ago after it came back and how this character was created for the Sunshine Tree Terrace and the Anita Bryant and the Sherman Brothers song and how – unique this pavilion was because again it it had this uh this you know citrus swirl bar next to it and a new character created by disney for the florida citrus growers and you know that the changes in sort of the the disney barker birds but at the time you know that was a three million dollar investment into this bird attraction by the florida citrus growers so they very much bought into it very early on too Okay, yeah, and that was in 1969. They knew what they were getting into. There was, and it was just listed as you know a tropical bird show. Like they, they just were trusting. They had seen what what had happened in California. They said they knew they had it, and with what had happened with Dole and the you know the, the amazing Dole whip, the, the citrus swirls were going to be that big. They hoped being next door to the pavilion, and so it it was it made sense for all the right reasons. And you know, they, Disney did a couple of things to differentiate it from the Disneyland version, right? Obviously. Instead of having this outdoor area with the tiki gods or this, this, this lanai area, they created a covered area with, with lines going back and forth that had this little waterfall on the shrine where their barker birds, the, the two birds, would sort of come out and give their little show. But really, the important thing to note, too, is the building itself, right? In Disneyland, it was kind of put into a relatively small space you could i mean you literally could almost walk by it if you're not familiar 
with the layout. You would see the, the Dole Whip stand, which is tied in very much to the queue area, but you might walk by where in Disney World, they give this a huge pagoda. I mean, you can see this, you know, not just as you walk into Adventureland, but we talk about the theming on the opposite side. You can see this building, this sort of weenie that draws you in, even from the Frontierland side as well. Right, and that's why if you look at the building, that's why there's water buffalo up on the roof because it does kind of fit into the Frontierland theme and this the cattle side of of the Bali Island, you know, the Balinese culture. You have all of this great ornamentation. It is drawing you in. It is this giant piece because at this point you do know what you have. You know, in Disneyland where it was going to be sharing at the time when it was thinking about being a restaurant, it was be sharing a kitchen with two other restaurants. It was it was a it really is a place where you could blink and miss the building as you're walking by on your way to the Jungle Cruise or at this point Indy. But in Florida, they this was the marquee thing that they were trying to get people to in Adventureland, and they were selling it for all it was worth. So I want you to try and think back to to young wee little Ryan Wilson. Oh no! And I want you, <laughs> I want you to think to the late '80s, early '90s. Was the Tiki Room a must-do? Was it a place to go if you were tired or hot and just wanted a little bit of air conditioning? What can you remember as as a kid? What, what was how attractive was the Tiki Room? You obviously know where I'm going with this, but how attractive yeah. to you was the Tiki Room? It, it, you know, it was. I think part of it for me was I was always. The Citrus Swirl Kid. Like, the Citrus Swirl was my snack. And, and you sound like a cowboy. It, I'm the Citrus Swirl Kid. The Citrus Swirl Kid. Oh, I got a new nickname, don't I? Um, but it was my it was my snack, and so I, I was always there by it. It was, it was right there. For me, the, the what kept drawing me back to it wasn't necessarily the birds. It was the tiki and the totems like that were that came to life. And the drumming tiki, that to me was just amazing. Like, this was something that's not supposed to be alive, whereas the birds to me made sense that they – Sure, they're they're pairs. They could sing on some level in my head as a kid, but the drum, like these magical, the magical qualities that they were imbued with to come to life and start drumming and start singing, that to me was amazing. And so that brought me back time and again. I think to the point where my parents were just out of their mind of, <laughs> we can't even take him for a such a swirl because he'll want to go see the drumming tiki's. See, I remember my parent. I remember my dad really liking this attraction. Right. And I think I was, oh, come, but Pirates is right there. The Jungle Cruise. Like I was more interested in the attractions, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the things that were sort of the, um, you know, more ride based than show based. Right. As I got older, I began to appreciate it more. I, I think because of I, once I understood the story and the nostalgia and the connection to Walt and going back to Disneyland, which I hadn't visited until I was much older. I started to like the attraction for different reasons, right? And it, again, it's it's always the the ex girlfriend effect, like like you're closing the Adventures Club. No, it's my favorite thing. Wait, no, no, I love that place. <laughs> Don't yeah. go. Right when they say that they're going to close the Tiki Room, I'm like no, come on, the Tiki Room's my favorite attraction in the entire. World. Well, it it might not have been, but <laughs> I think what had happened was, as time went on, I think the repeatability factor maybe for the Tropical Serenade might not have been there, right? Now, all of a sudden, you don't just have pirates in the Jungle Cruise. Now you've got Splash Mountain. You can hear the people on right. Splash Mountain. Off, you know, you can hear people on Big Thunder Mountain, all oh, Space Mountain. Now you've got all these thrill rides. Maybe the Tropical Serenade might seem like it's your dad's attraction, right? That's the one that mom and dad want to go to. So 
Disney closes it on September 1st, 1997 for a very lengthy rehab. I mean, I think it doesn't reopen until April or so, April mm-hmm. or May 1998, as the, tiki, the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management. Right. And you can see from the sign that it's, it's definitely new management. It's it's definitely – and I think that was the point. This is not your mom and dad's enchanting tiki room. Yes, right. Jose, Michael, Pierre, and Fritz, they're there. But now we got – hey, kids, we've got something for you. We have Zazu from The Lion King. And who doesn't love Iago from Aladdin? What could possibly go wrong? Right? <laughs> so – and look, even in the exterior, like even in the queue right. – the quote-unquote Barker birds are different, right? You've got uh, William and Morris, Don Rickles, which, is, uh, again, maybe your mom and dad would recognize the voice, <laughs> but younger people knew Phil Hartman right. from Saturday Night Live. Right, and these, were the, and these were the bird agents for their clients who were, had purchased the Tiki Room and were going to be the new manager for the Tiki Room, and they're working out their share and, and all that stuff, but it, it had a very much more of a, a Hollywood feel to it Whereas the the laid back you know island feel from the original version, maybe now you you understand that it's not the same, right? And, and look, they're they're trying to make it relevant, and I get it. But by doing that, and by bringing look, you can you can have Morris talk about going to sign Donald Duck, but when William is talking about that he's going, that who cares? Because I've got the Mighty Ducks. Right now, all of a sudden, you're locking that into a, a moment in time. The same way the Timekeeper was flawless. Until Boys to Men comes out singing Motown Philly. You're like, oh, wait a minute. This attraction was obviously built in, you know, X year. That's what you start to do. The four original Tiki Birds are there. Uh, Jerry Orbach uh, brings in a new voice. who Obviously, who is Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. You may know him, know him from Law and Order. Um, the, the song is the same. The Tiki Room is there. You're like, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, love him or hate him, Iago from Aladdin comes out, you know, sort of uh, interrupting the show as it goes on. And you can see very quickly that, you know, look, Gilbert, <laughs> you know, Gilbert Godfrey's voice is is very unique uh, and <laughs> brought a, a very different feel to the attraction. And not only the voices, it was if you even looked at, you know, Zazu and Iago, you could see the, the different animated, you know, the, the birds are these birds are much bigger. They're much more animated. They have the, you know, they have that same quality that you would expect from the, the show or from their movies. But but their size was so much larger than the other birds, and it was very much this, you know, this fresh coat of paint for for the show. But nothing else, you know, they were the pieces that had changed, not the rest of the room. And they were talking about their plans on how they were going to revitalize the whole show. You know, and it's interesting because if you look back, and obviously hindsight being twenty twenty, mm-hmm. you can you can almost get a sense that the Imagineers and the story writers were already preparing for the debate that was going to happen, right? Because Zazu, level-headed Zazu, right, is saying, "Please don't mess with the Tiki Room. It's a classic. It's perfect." And uh, I- Iago's going, "No, no, no. Listen, it's time. This has been the same thing for thirty years. It's time to you know." To, to bring it up to speed and and get rid of this old show, this old tired show, because he's going to toss his crackers. <laughs> and you can almost imagine that these were 
identical conversations that the Imagineers <laughs> had with one another. They're like, listen, we're just going to script it from this debate that we're having in room right now, and we're going to go with that. And right, you, and then you have, you know, oh, you know, you don't want to upset the 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 tiki gods, or or in this case. But Disney gods and everyone who's going to be upset about the changes, uh, and it's yeah, you can always see that it, verbatim. They just changed names. You know, the names have been have been changed for protecting uh, that kind of a bit. Right, like they were like Oa was the Twitter of 1998. Yep. Like they knew people were going to. So that's kind of what Oa represented. Like, listen, if you if you don't if you change this, the gods. Twitter, he's going to be very, very unha- unhappy, and you know, as as obviously, he was right because the the lightning strikes and the light, the, the the lights go out, and and you know the tiki poles start chanting oa oa, and this is where the interesting things happen, right? The the music changes, right? You bring in music like hot hot hot, and all of a sudden, it, it's it clearly is not the the, the original show. No, you've gone from Polynesia down to the Caribbean and down to Miami and South. I don't know what's happened with the. You know, we have salsa music now, um, but it, it's very much different. You have much more black lighting effects here at this point, neon, uh, and to to just to. I don't even know if it's like to, you know to take a butcher knife and cut the differences a part of what was and what will be. Yeah, and look, I understand. I think we we understood that by putting songs by Gloria Estefan in there and Conga and Hot Hot Hot. It makes it more relevant, right? Quote, unquote, on paper, it seems to make it more relevant. But I think two things happen. I think it gets dated very quickly. And look, it it lasted 13 years, which is is relatively a long time. But I think that Iago in the movie, Iago in Aladdin is a great sidekick character, right? He's somewhat funny. He's a little annoying, but you kind of... He brings in a light bit of humor, but I think here he was kind of obnoxious and he was really sort of interrupting a nice show and it maybe didn't have, you certainly didn't get the warm and fuzzies from Iago. Now listen, you bird brains, if you're going to keep your jobs, you got to get hip. I know all about it, see? No, maybe from Zazu. Maybe you understood Zazu <laughs> was trying to be that voice of reason. Um, but you're right. With, with the dating of the music, it does. It's, it's just like boys to men. It's, it's going to set you right here, right now. And we, and we see it time and again in this, in, this, you know, in this period of time, whether it's Ellen's Energy Adventure or it's Timekeeper. You, you, you get yourselves locked into these things. And unless you're going to come back every couple of years or so and, and fix the music and fix the soundtrack – it does tend to lock you in, and, and it becomes dated almost quicker than the original attraction would have been. But I, I think you're right. You know, my wife loves. We, we joked she had this love of secondary characters. Like every movie she ever watches, her favorite character is the sidekick somewhere. But sidekicks aren't necessarily the person meant to run the show. Yeah, and you know, again, thinking back to when this was right in, in September. Uh, I'm sorry, in um, in in the the late you know, 20, two, 2000s, whatever it is. I think things happened in that show that probably wouldn't happen now, right? right. Like, so at the end, and it's a throwaway joke, right? Iago talks about, even though most of the guests are probably out, if you stay till the end, like you always should, especially like in the stretching room at the Haunted Mansion, stay as long as you can. Um, if you stay till the end, Iago talks about how tired he is, and he's going, he's insulting the Hall of Presidents. Like, I'm going to yeah. go take a nap in the Hall of Presidents. 
I'm not sure that joke would play or be allowed today. And even he says goodbye to Zazu, and then Jose says, nobody laid an egg except that guy. <laughs> You're right. It, 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 there are things I think there that made it through then that wouldn't make it through now, and where every every attraction is giving its own set of uh, its own quality of life, as it were. You know, everything's respected for what it is. Um, and and this was obviously going to poke fun. And maybe these were the people who were saying, you know, no, don't change, don't don't change, don't change. Oh, you know what? If you're going to go ahead, throw these jokes in and see what happens. Yeah. And you know. It's funny how things work out because I think in 2011, the show's about 13 years old. I I think uh, it's starting to clearly show its age. I think the the music isn't as relevant. The jokes aren't as funny as maybe they were in 1998. And coincidentally, a small fire happens to break out in the, the attic or near the, in the sort of the, in the rafters of the attraction Get, you know, nobody was hurt. It wasn't anything bad. The sprinklers went on. But from what we can sort of piece together, it sounds as though that Iago, surprisingly, <laughs> was damaged by the fire and some of the parts of the attraction had some other water. Da- Maybe Aoa had finally had it. And- right. He'd been sent <laughs> so much in the show. They just, you know, taking it to the next level and bringing it to life for us. Yeah. Uh, but but there were there were a couple of, you know, from what we've been able to, to piece together is there are a couple of figures that are damaged that need to be repaired, whether it's the feathers or some of the fabrics that were used. Um, Iago seems like he's beyond repair. So so it seems like it's about time to make another change. Yeah, and, and I don't know, you know, there was two different Iagos in the attraction. There was the the early Iago and then the one that was sort of burnt by Aoa. Mm-hmm. You wonder <laughs> which one <laughs> might have actually been burnt. But, you know, timing being everything, I, I think, again, going back to the, the boardroom and Imagineering or wherever, the conversation that takes place is, okay, well, now what do we replace this attraction with? And I think the timing was, I think had the timing be different, we might not have had the Tiki Room come back. And what I mean by that is, after Disneyland's Enchanted Tiki Room reopens sort of for the park's 50th anniversary, they see how popular it becomes again. Now, Walt Disney World's 40th anniversary is coming back, the sense of nostalgia is in the air, uh, you know, because of social media, it's it's palpable, right? They, they Disney is able to watch and listen and learn what people are talking about, what they want, and I think they smartly decide to reopen the attraction, not under new management, not with a new show, but it is once again Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, the original Disneyland name. Yes, the show is a little bit shorter by about six month six minutes. They did cut out some music and a little bit of of dialogue from the original show. But for the most part, we have very close to the original Disneyland show. Right. We have, we have for for our generation, you know, it's the ADHD version of the Enchanted Antique Room. (laughs) We cut out a little bit to make it a little bit shorter, but... But yeah, they've they've returned everything back to its natural glory. They've you know the fountains back where it belongs. We have all of our pieces back now. And if even if it's a bit shorter, it is that original show. And now it's now it's not become. It's almost gotten to the point where it's no longer 
outdated, it's now a, it's hit that point where it's timeless. Right, and it, it's the cla- it's back to being a classic attraction. Even the right. pre-show, again, which is shorter, that we're, we're trying to get more guests through. We don't want guests waiting outside as long. You've got Dal McKinnon's. He's the, the wildest ride in the wilderness guy. Uh, Sebastian Cabot. You know, it is, in the best possible sense, it is your dad's tiki room, right? But it looks better. It sounds better. And I remember taking my kids in August of 2011 wondering what their reaction was going to be. Were they going to be like, hey, where's the characters that we know? They didn't care. They loved it. They loved the classic music. They loved finding out when I said, this is what the Disneyland version was like and is like. And I told them the story about Walt, and they really wrapped their arms around it and fell in love with the new attraction and then said, you know what? We didn't like the other one as much. We like this one. And I was afraid they weren't going to like the old-time music or or whatever. There wasn't going to be no relatable characters tied to a movie or an intellectual property. Yeah. Well, I've I've always said you have two of the smartest kids I I know. but it, but it does. It resonates, I think, with all kids. I can remember, you know, since since it's reopened, going in, and there, I can't think of a single time I've been in where I haven't seen, you know, preschoolers and young children getting up and dancing in the middle of the show and coming up where there's, you know, a little bit of open floor space there and just, you know, giving it all they got because they're they're bought into the entire show. It's, you know, what's old is new again, and, and it really never went out of style. It's just maybe we didn't appreciate it for what it was. And I think. You know, as you look at the the Tiki Room today, right? Describe it for me in one word. How would you describe the Tiki Room? Hmm. I think you know. I think I may have. I, I may have already said. It. I think. I, I think it's looking at it, whether it's inside, outside. You know, you're, that first glimpse of the building or the songs that it's singing. I do think it's hit that timeless category. I think that's where it falls now for me. You know, I look at it and. I, I think about Walt, you know, and that's why I said I, I like the fact that it is Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. I think there's something endearing about it. I think there's something um, charming about it. I think the fact that it's simple. Look, go back to, to Richard Sherman. It's it's right. simple. It's singable, right? It, it's something that the entire family can enjoy. I like the characters in there, even though they're not ones that you see, you know, you, you can't, well, maybe you can buy, maybe you, you can't buy a, a t-shirt with the characters on it or, you know, little figures of the characters, but they're characters that we like. Um, right. And I wonder, you know, if we are, if we're doing this show 10 years from now, <laughs> where's the Tiki Room going to be? Like how long is this attraction able to stay the classic original 1963 Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Right. Does, does it hit a point where it becomes, again, where, where like it's old as new again now, does it become old again? Does it become, does it fade at some point from, from you know, our nostalgia, you know, our rose-colored nostalgia? Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, I think maybe you, I think I do know that you had about 10 one-word answers right there. <laughs> um, but I think, but otherwise, I don't know. Yeah, I wanted to say, I guess endearing was, was probably yeah. the word that, um, that, that you know, and maybe this is the question to ask the listener, right? Describe right. for me on Twitter at Lou Mangiello, and make sure you also include at Main ST Gazette on Twitter. Give me one word for you that describes 
the current Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. And also come to the show notes and tell me, do you love it? Do you go every time? Like, I wanna, I'm curious to sort of get a finger on the pulse of how people look five years after this grand reopening. How do you look now on the Tiki Room? Is it is it a must-do? Is it a, oh, hey, I'm hot, I need to sit down for a while? How do you look at the Tiki Room now? And maybe what do you see for the Tiki Room in the future? Like, if I say, Ryan, you're in charge of Imagineering Adventureland right now, what do you want to do with the Tiki Room? Do we leave it? Is it good? Do, or do you want to do something different? Right. Do we go back to Walt's idea of a little restaurant there and the birds still sing, but now you can get, you know, now it's a juice bar and you and it's Trader Sam's, you know, Tiki, you know, Tiki Bird Bar and you get your non-alcoholic versions out there? I don't, yeah, I don't know what the answer is necessarily, but um, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the 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 dinner show idea. I don't think it's obviously appropriate for there, but did you know? I'm sure you do know that mm-hmm. actually that great idea never died, and in fact, did come to life directly in Walt Disney World, not in the theme parks, but over at Disney's Polynesian Village because the Polynesian Village, uh, I'm sorry, the, the the Polynesian Luau, the the Spirit of mm-hmm. Aloha dinner show was directly tied to this idea of creating this dinner right. coupled with, you know, South Pacific entertainment. And even John Henshin, if and I think if you love Imagining, you need to read Designing Disney, Imagining yes. and the Art and the Show. He talks about how, you know, if everybody was seated and served at the same time, they'd finish the main course together, they could start the dinner show, and we'd sort of be able to rotate these people through it didn't work in Disneyland. It didn't work in Adventureland. But Hench decided the, the to replace this idea of food service in the center of the room with creating right. a, a South Pacific-themed show and actually talks. He said, look, and I quote, although we were unable to try the dinner show approach at the Tiki Room, we did produce the Luau dinner show at the Polynesian, and it was a tremendous success. Yeah. And and it that and it, it was a success. You know, we've seen we've seen it el- elsewhere. You know, you look across back at Fort Wilderness, my old stomping ground, and you have um, you know the hoop you do review. It's just, it, it, it has all these kinds of entertainment things that they did finally figure out what the right formula was. Yeah. All right. So last question for you and anybody who's listening: Who of the four hosts is your favorite, and why? Oh, oh, it's you know I've always <laughs> I've always had a fondness for for Pierre. Um, I think that may have something to do with the fact that, you know, my mom's side of the family, every, you know, it's very French and there's always this thing back there of that. Um, or maybe I just love the accent, I don't, <laughs> but, but we're going to go with Pierre. I think I have to say Fritz just because of the Thoreau Ravenscroft. Yeah, that's a close, it's a close second there. Right. And, and he actually, he did one of the gods, I think outside of mm-hmm. in Disneyland too. And obviously he's got a lot of connections to mansion and other attractions as well. So yeah, I am so curious to hear what people think about the attraction, the word they would use to describe it, what they might want to see change, if anything. And then of course, I also want them to go, but I don't need to hear your reaction because I know you're going to love visiting MainStreetGazette.com. Ryan, man, I am continuously amazed by what I get to learn from your blog and the cool pictures that you post, and you really take us way back all the time, man, and, and I love what you do there. I'm not just saying it because you're here. I, I do what I can, and I and I appreciate everyone's love for it. Awesome, brother. we got to do this again soon. Lots Definitely. more to cover. Always. Mahalo. 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 
for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week. Ryan Bites are to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see sometimes, even in what you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So on our last show, number 400, I actually wanted to see how well you paid attention to what you hear because I gave you a quote and I asked you to identify where in the world you may have heard it. And the quote was, all these people think I'm talking to them, but I'm really just talking to you. And again, thank you and congratulations to the hundreds of you who entered and got this one correct. I don't know if you're Muppet fans or Waldo fans or just love Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D at Disney's Hollywood Studios, but you all knew that it was in fact the spirit of 3D Waldo, and you were again playing for all six of my virtual audio walking tours, a copy of my new 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, and a mystery gift from my personal Disney collection, which I'm in the process of purging up on eBay. I randomly selected one winner from all the correct entries, and our winner last week is... Peggy Aldean. So, Peggy, congratulations. I'll shoot you an email, get your shipping address, and get your prize package out to you right away. But if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, obviously, we were talking all about the Enchanted Tiki Room and the history and the changes through the years, and I actually specifically left out one little bit of information because I wanted to use it for this week's Trivia Challenge. Because... While the original Orange Bird was created as a mascot, it was also a walk-around character, which sort of acted like the Barker Bird, right? A, a way to draw people over to the Sunshine Tree Terrace and get people to come in and see the show. But after about 20 years or so, the original Orange Bird was replaced by a new, quote-unquote, Barker Bird that stood outside the Enchanted Tiki Room. So your question this week is to tell me, what is the name of that second Barker bird that stood outside the Tiki Room from about 1992 to about 1997 or so? You have until Sunday, April 12th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Again, you're playing for the audio tours, a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money, for and at Walt Disney World book, and a special mystery gift that I will include as well. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and taking a look back at the Enchanted Tiki Room with me and Ryan. I also want to start off by saying thanks again to so many of you who are members of WDW Radio Nation. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support and friendship, and I hope that you are enjoying some of the special content in our private Facebook group, the personalized Magic Band covers, the logo gear and backpacks and t-shirts and scavenger hunts and everything else. I want to thank new members like Ryan Blanding, Patrick J. Knapp Jr., the oh-so-speedy Mark Brinkerhoff, Matt Galen, John Bailey, Andrew Gowan, Paul Siopic and family, Dean Gavo, Morin Marshall, John and Elaine Tevens and family, R.J. Lucia Jr., 
Brenna Dudley, Rob Sean Barrow, and so many more. To find out more and become part of WDW Radio Nation, visit wdwradio.com slash support. Don't forget that in addition to the podcast, please join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDWRadioLive.com, where I talk about the week's Disney news and then stay and chat with you for about an hour or so. It's a live video broadcast and interactive chat that takes place again every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern over at WDWRadioLive.com. Also, hopefully you're following me on Twitter at Lou Mangiello, Facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. Same on Instagram and Pinterest. Also, be sure you're following me either or both on Meerkat and Periscope as I'm doing a lot of live broadcasting using those apps as well. You can search for those in the iTunes app store. Also, be sure and visit WDWRadio.com. We have an amazing team of blog writers that's pushing out some great content every single day. And you can subscribe and get that content delivered for free right to your inbox. There's also new videos, a free newsletter, a free app for your mobile device, and lots more. I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me, lou at wwradio.com, or call the voicemail. I'll be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. And if you've been listening to the show in the past or you are a brand new listener, as much as I love connecting with you guys online and having conversations there, I believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. And that's why I do monthly meetups every month in Walt Disney World, as other as well as other events on the road, visit the events page at www.radio.com or facebook.com slash www.radio for more information. Our next meet of the month is going to be at the Tangerine Cafe on April 25th. That's a Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Why did I choose that place? Because Avengers Age of Ultron comes out just a few days later. I'm super excited, so I thought we would tie it in to the bonus scene from the first Avengers movie and have a little shawarma meet at the Tangerine Cafe in Morocco in Epcot. Flower and Garden Festival's going on. Should be a lot of fun. Anyone and everyone is invited. It's open to everyone. Obviously, it's free as well. To find out more, again, visit the events page. Also, look for other events on the road. And to see other places, I'll be speaking at other conferences like New Media Expo next week. I'll be keynoting at Podcast Movement later this summer. Or to find out how to book me for your conference with your business or to come speak at your school, visit loumangelo.com. There you can also find out how I might be able to help you either in a small group coaching session or one-on-one to help you turn whatever that thing is that you love. Turn that passion into your profession. I want you to get that same excitement that I feel every day about what I do. Thanks to you, because you allow me to share my passion for Disney with you. Uh, Big thanks to Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider. Whether you're coming to World, Land, Cruise, Adventures by Disney, Alani, anywhere on the planet, uh, the team of, of agents at Mouse Fan Travel not only will ensure you get the best possible prices, they're always looking for available discounts. They'll help you book your dining all at no cost to you. Go for the discounts. You're going to stay for the service because they treat you like family. Visit them over at mousefantravel.com and go to celebrationspress.com and find out how you can order or subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. Quick thanks again to everybody who has rated and reviewed my 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book over at amazon.com, including Luke Lawson, Stuart Talbot, Jimmy Jones, and Mackenzie. We have almost 200 reviews there. If you have the book, if you like the book, please tell your friends and go and review the show there. You can find out more and order the book by visiting Disney102.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. 
Come by on Facebook. Keep the conversation going there. Share links and comment about your favorite shows. And please go to iTunes, rate and review the show there. We have more than 930 reviews. Would love to get to 1,000 five-star reviews. Thanks to some recent reviewers like S. Disney, Disneyana, Warrior Monk Book Guy, Jill Long in Ireland, BizQuick21, and Daniel J. Gates, who I can imagine is saying this in his best impression of the guy on TV. I don't often rate podcasts, but when I do, they deserve it. Thanks to you and everybody else who's rated and reviewed the show. Visit iTunes or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes with instructions and a direct link to where you can go and to rate and review the show. And thank you again. Uh, every day is a gift. You have given me the gift of your time, which I know is your most valuable commodity. And I really do mean it when I say how sincerely grateful I am to you and for you individually. And I want you to feel that same way. So if you're not where you want to be, right, that should be the motivation that you need. And just start taking small, positive steps and action, and slowly you will get there. And uh, as Walt always said, always keep moving forward. Thank you, thank you, thank you again. I hope you have a ridiculously amazing week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hello, Lou Mangiello. This is Roger Whitney, the Retirement Answer Man, and I want to wish you a wonderful 400th show. Just an amazing accomplishment for an amazing man. I'm so proud of you, man. Have a great day. Hey, hello, it's Chris. Uh, Chris from New York, uh, you know, uh, mixed team on the box. Um, just touching in. Uh, really enjoyed the latest um, podcast. With uh, you and Deanna and the, and the kids, uh, really cool. I had no idea they had all that food available and those choices um, at the uh, value resorts and, uh, you know, where you were at. Uh, anyway, long story short, um, just saying hi. Give me a shout back when you can. I sent you an email. And uh, you take care of yourself. All right, buddy, take care. All the best to the family and all the best to everybody else on the radio. Everybody, take care. Bye. Hey, Lou. My name is Adam Rodriguez. I just wanted to say I really appreciate what you do. I came about you on the internet, oh, I think on YouTube about a year ago, and I cannot stop listening to your podcast, your videos. I'm in the box. Eiler 1998. It's a great show. I love what you do, and it just it keeps me inspired. Lou, I love what you do. You're a great guy. This is every, everything you do is great. Um, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll see you. Good morning, Lou. It's Justin. I am walking my way to the world of Disney, getting prepared for work. And I just want to let you know, I just want to congratulate you on your 400th episode. And I am looking forward to seeing you real soon. As always, keep up the good work, and I'll see you very, very soon. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Charlie Nagy from West Seneca, New York. And it is March 27th, 2015. And that means we are now 55 days away from our WDW Radio Alaska Wonder Cruise. And with our WDW Radio group, it's going to be a fantastic, epic adventure, and I am so excited for it. 65 days, oh, my goodness gracious, five more days, and we're two months away. That is just amazing, amazing. It seems like it was 
a long time ago that you announced it and our bucket dream list came true. I'm trying to do as many bucket list things that I have on my list, and this is going to be a checkoff for one. And hitting Vancouver, Canada to go out of is going to be another bucket list checkoff because we wanted to get up to that area. So thank you so much to you and Becky for making these dreams come possible. And I hope everyone has a magical, magical weekend. It is 30 degrees in Buffalo, New York, and I am telling you, it's actually still snowing here. So um, it's not really sticking. We did get some slush yesterday. Um, so I'm definitely, I'll be ready for a laugh. So when I go, uh, talk to you all real soon. You've got a friend, baby.